The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 7 Lonely Houses Off the Road February 2002 I walked into the ice cream shop wearing a purple velvet dress and a pair of boots that I like to think were both elegant and sturdy. We were planning on walking up to Reed's house for the party, and I had to assume that there would be a level of mud and sand even up there above the town. I had planned on wearing jeans and a hoodie, to be honest, but Lana had cornered me in the apartment and informed me that I should probably dress up. Apparently, this was a fancy thing. Hey, Sam said. He was dressed a little more like a regular Pacific Northwest guy in that he wasn't wearing anything ice cream related today. Instead, he had put on a plaid jacket over a hoodie and completed the look with a backwards baseball cap. I figured not wearing the ice cream hoodie was probably the closest he was going to get to dressed up. Is Lana here yet? I said hopping onto one of the bar stools. No, she had to head up early. Said she would meet us there, Sam replied. Cool. Sam grabbed a key ring that was hanging up behind the counter and headed for the door. How long have you been here today? I asked. Since five. Oh, do you, uh, do you always work 11-hour days? I asked. No, sometimes it's 12. It's actually pretty flexible, he joked. He took off his hat and dropped it on the table closest to the door, ruffling his own hair, which sort of helped, I guess. We walked out into the misty evening, and I immediately bundled my coat tighter around my neck. Sam put his hands in his pockets and let out a slow, frosty breath. In spite of the cold, he didn't seem like he was in any hurry. So, I said, level with me. Is this going to be weird? Oh, most definitely, Sam replied. School parties with your professor are always weird. Haven't you read Harry Potter? Well, I said, narrowly avoiding catching my skirt on the rain-soaked bumper of a car. At least it's not a normal college party, I guess. That's true, he said. That would be worse. Sam and I made our way to the edge of town. If I had been dreaming right then, this would be the place where my pal Charlie hung out. I snuck a glance under the weeping willow just to make sure there wasn't actually a bench down there. There was a bench, actually. How weird. I guess I must have seen this earlier and incorporated it into my dreams. I didn't remember seeing it, though. I didn't even remember walking past this spot in real life. I decided to file that away in my brain and have a really good think on it later. It did seem kind of weird. So, Sam said, how are you settling into, I don't know, life, new roommate who happens to be my totally terrible sister, weird schedule, my totally terrible sister? I laughed. Lana's cool. Man, the hours, though. The hours are killing me. I'm up so late, like, all the time. I'm trying to be normal on the weekends, but I'm literally thinking about just going entirely nocturnal. 
Entirely nocturnal, Sam said. Yeah, entirely nocturnal. Well, that sounds like a killer plan. I paused. Are you making fun of me? Making fun of you? Come on. I would never. Amherst Street was at the bottom of a steep, grassy hill. Thankfully, there was a staircase just behind the ice cream shop that led up to the top of the hill where Reed's house was supposedly located. I like to think that I was in pretty good shape. I ran five mornings a week, even though I hated it deeply. But something about the staircase was off. The stairs were steep and uneven, and each step was different from the previous step. By the time I reached the top, my legs felt wobbly. My grandpa built these steps himself, Sam said. I smiled, biting back a few comments. He is not a carpenter. I chuckled. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one thinking it, I said. I took a look around, expecting to see dozens of houses lining the hill. Instead, there was only one of them. Everything felt different up here. It felt like being at a high point of the world, with only seagrass and brooding gray clouds and the occasional bat in the brush. Somehow, the salt air was even stronger up here, and cleaner too, I think. As soon as I saw Reed's house, I think I understood implicitly why he had decided to build his house all the way up here instead of with all the other nice beach houses down below. In a town full of weathered gray cottages with airy porches and pretty yards and bright umbrellas, Reed's house stood out like a monument to a cemetery. It was surrounded by a low stone wall, broken only by a cast iron gate out front. The old gothic-style house was painted a creamy white with steep roofs and black shutters and trim. There were gargoyles on the porch. Well, actually they weren't whole gargoyles. They were gargoyle feet that Reed was using as plant stands. Super creepy. They kind of reminded me of chicken feet with three claws in the front and one in the back, like a weird little thumb. I shivered. Pretty much what you expected? Sam asked. I realized he was looking at me like he was waiting for some kind of assessment. Sure, pretty much, I replied and started toward the house. I can't explain why, but as I drew closer to the house, I felt a strange tingling sensation creeping along my arms. It was that feeling you get when you're close to touching flame. Everything tenses up because you know that if you put your hand any closer, it's going to burn. I must have slowed down because Sam looked over at me and said, You okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine, I replied, determined not to let the superstition affect my real life. The front porch felt like it was decorated for Halloween, even though it wasn't. Up close, the white paint was peeling, exposing the bone gray shakes cobwebs collected on the cast iron chandelier and those gargoyle feet almost seemed to shift toward us as we made our way to the front door. Sam stepped forward and rung the doorbell. We waited for several seconds, but there was no response, so Sam knocked on the door. The tap caused the door to swing open a few inches, creaking audibly like a door on a freaking haunted house. He should really fix that latch, Sam said. Maybe I should just do it. 
A ray of moonlight cut through the clouds and shone through one of the stained glass windows, bathing the entire entryway in watercolor tones. It smelled a little odd inside. I couldn't quite place it, but it was something between a metallic smell and the smell of slightly rancid oil. The walls were painted a rich reddish purple, luxurious and calm. White canvases filled with minimalist line art and silhouettes peppered the walls, and the curtains were gauzy and ghost-like. I wanted to run. Maybe I should have run, but in the moment it felt irrational, so I didn't. We heard the piano before we saw it. Moonlight Sonata drifted down the hallway and out the front door into the darkness of night. I closed the door behind me and followed Sam into the living area. Reed was sitting at an old piano, playing softly while the others stood around holding drinks. Crown, Lana, and a guy that I didn't know were already here. Lana lifted a glass in our direction. Good to see you, chumps, she said. It only took me a minute to realize that she was wearing her jeans and hoodie, which was exactly the same thing she told me not to wear. I looked around the room and realized that no one else was dressed up either. They were all wearing jeans and plaid, and Crown was wearing a windbreaker. So, I said, moving to stand beside Lana, looks like this isn't such a formal event after all. She shrugged and smiled. It's Pacific Northwest formal. Reed finished his song and turned partially to look at us. There you are. He clapped his hands. I was wondering when you would get here. That's a lovely dress. I glared at Lana, but said thank you anyway. Pour yourself a drink, Reed said. Honestly, that sounded great. I walked over to the bar and saw that Reed had a pitcher of Irish coffee sitting there. I poured myself a mug. Crown and Lana had started talking, as had Sam and Reed. They all seemed fairly locked into their conversations already. I've never felt good in party situations, never been the kind of person who wants to entertain everyone with a song or a story about the time I got kicked out of a record store. Now that I was here, I didn't really want to be at a party at all. The other guy, who I assumed was Brad, had broken off to his own corner of the room. I went to stand on the same side of the room as him. Not so close it was creepy, but close enough that I would be able to start a conversation without yelling across the furniture. I stood along the same wall as Brad and studied a couple of the paintings. He looked up and gave a half smile. I was about to introduce myself when he turned around and walked to the other side of the room. Cool. I guess I probably should have spoken up quicker. When I turned around again, Sam was looking at me. It made it even worse to realize that someone had watched me fail at what should have been a fairly standard social interaction. I was about to take a giant drink out of my mug when Sam waved me over. Reed paints, Sam said as I joined them. He pointed to the piano. There was a jar of dried blue flowers. I thought they might have been hydrangeas. Next to the flowers, there was a tiny canvas, and though I thought it was just as beautiful as the rest of the paintings in Reed's house, it was very different. Whereas the rest of his art was minimalistic, modern, and bright, 
This particular painting was rich with texture, messy, almost angry in composition. Sam smiled and picked up the small canvas from the piano. I like this one, Reed. Is it new? He asked. I just finished it last night. Reed's crooked smile suggested he was pretty proud of his work. I moved over to Sam's corner of the room and looked over his shoulder. It was a painting of Burning Rock. It actually kind of reminded me of Sam's mom's logo, except it was messier and Reed's painting depicted Burning Rock at night. That's really cool, I told Reed. He smiled. How are you settling in with Lana? Reed asked. Really well, I said. It seemed like everyone cared very much how I was doing with my roommate. Probably a small town thing, I guess. I should probably thank you for setting that up, I said. Reed's scholarship program had included help with dorm placement. In my case, he had pulled a few strings and got me set up in an apartment with his own granddaughter, which was actually pretty cool of him. Not a problem at all, he said. I liked your essay about the bands, he continued after a moment in a way that made it obvious he had never heard of either band and had almost certainly forgotten everything he had read 30 seconds after he read it. Still, it was a nice gesture. Thank you, I said. I went back to the bar to add a little scoop of whipped cream to my drink. It had come out a little boring, to be honest. Crown joined me there. I hope you're okay with me using your picture for the paper, Crown said. I think it's a little late to worry about that now, I replied, though, in all honesty, I hadn't really thought about it much since it happened. I like my privacy, but a picture of my face next to a tree doesn't feel like that huge of a deal. If it helps, there's only a circulation of about 12, he said. I am confused about one thing, I said. You told me those claw marks were nothing. I plopped a scoop of whipped cream into my drink and coffee slushed over the side. I rushed to grab a napkin and wipe it up. I really was in fine form tonight. I still think it was nothing, he said. And I don't think they're claw marks. That doesn't mean it wasn't a good picture for an opinion column, though. I shrugged. He wasn't wrong about that. I wound up reading the article after school and actually thought it was pretty good. So, Crown glanced over, but still didn't turn all the way to face me. You're studying radio and stuff? That's right, I said. That's pretty cool. Any reason for radio specifically? Like, did you have a family member in radio? A particular story you want to tell? Nope, I replied. Turns out I just like the sound of my own voice. How about you? What made you go into journalism? Is there a corporation you're trying to bring down? Do you want to solve your uncle's murder? To his credit, he laughed at that. Fair point, he said. I guess we don't all need crazy backstories. I just work well under extreme deadlines. He smiled and walked back over to the others. So maybe Crown wasn't so difficult after all. I guess begrudging mutual respect is a reasonable foundation for a friendship. Why not?
After a moment, I joined Crown and the others, and we talked about nothing while Reed continued to play the piano. The evening was becoming less distressing, but more boring. I found my eyes wandering around the room, looking for signs of anything interesting or abnormal. Most houses have something. Something idiosyncratic. Something that suggests that the people living there maintain a weird hobby or an unusual viewpoint. There was nothing here. Or almost nothing. There was a red velvet rope tied across the stairs. I didn't notice it at first, but once I saw it, I couldn't see anything else. It looked like one of those things that you would see at a red carpet premiere or maybe a movie theater trying to give off the vibe of a red carpet premiere. It was tied to the banister and attached to the wall with a brass hook and loop. Why had Reed literally roped off his stairs? That seemed kind of extreme. I'm going to make more drinks, Lana piped up suddenly. Anybody want something? The others seemed fairly excited that Lana was making drinks in a way that suggested she was probably pretty good at it. I wasn't dying for another drink, but I did want something to hold in my hand and distract myself with, so eventually I joined her at the bar. What can I get you, kid? She asked as I approached. Not sure, I said. Invent something? Something unusual. Wintry. Woodsy. She sized me up for a moment, and I wasn't sure if it was curiosity or low-grade contempt. Finally, she nodded. I watched her pull out a pecan-flavored bourbon and a small bottle of caramel syrup. She added a dash of vanilla, a couple of pecan halves, and some brown sugar on the rim. Pecan pie, she said, and set it down in front of me. I took the drink, expecting it to taste warm and comfortable, like the first holiday goodies Mom and I used to pull out of the oven. Instead, the drink hit my stomach like a block of ice. The flavor itself was good. There were a lot of pecan pie notes there for sure. But the way it flowed through me was like icicles melting into my veins, sending the strangest notes of fear and isolation through my already anxious body. I looked up at Lana smiling back at me, and suddenly doubted the genuineness of that smile. I doubted the warmth of the room. I doubted the longevity of the fire in the fireplace. I went to sit down next to the fire and put the drink on the end table. I guess I was probably just feeling nostalgic and homesick. Everything about this night, with the fire and the drinks and the warm cookie flavors, made me think of my childhood in Seattle at Christmas, with the music and the half-melted snowman in the front yard. I probably just missed being home. Still, I felt strange. Almost lightheaded. As I sat there, seriously contemplating whether to take another sip of my drink or not, I found my eyes drawn to the staircase again. I really wouldn't have cared if it wasn't for the velvet rope. It was like Reed wanted me to question what was up there. Most dinner party guests would stay on the main floor without even being asked. What was so private that Reed felt the need to literally partition off the upper floor? I took another drink of my cocktail. It was better now, though it still made me shiver. Sam came to sit with me. Facing the stairs, the prospect of secret rooms and forgotten trunks loomed large in my imagination. 
The yawning blackness of the upper floor made me even more eager to find out what was up there. What's upstairs? I practically whispered to Sam. He took a sip of his drink and stretched out his arm over the back of the seat. I don't know. Weird old dude stuff? Antiques? Old art? Old art, huh? I said. He seems so into modern stuff. Yeah, Sam squinted. The stuff up there is weird, though. More like family heirlooms, I guess. Something dark passed across Sam's face. At least I think it did. That night seemed like a night for overactive imaginations. Still, family heirlooms sounded intriguing to me. I loved looking at people's collections, figuring out what sorts of things they like to occupy themselves with when no one is watching. All of Reed's weird stuff must be upstairs, which explained the almost antiseptically dull downstairs. Let's go up there, I said. What? No, we can't just go up there, he replied. Reed would freak out. Then we won't get caught. I downed the rest of my drink, ignoring the shivers running along my spine. I got up off the couch and offered Sam my hand to help him up. I was pleasantly surprised when, in spite of a glare, he took my hand and got to his feet. Okay, but we can't make it obvious, he said. Sure thing. Sam picked up his drink, presumably so he could bring it with him. I observed the rest of the room quietly. Reed had gone back to playing the piano, which I guess was the only thing actually happening until dinner. Everybody else had already migrated over to the snack table, which was just out of sight of the staircase. Now or never, I whispered. Sam shrugged. He unclipped the velvet cord and headed up the stairs. I clipped it behind us again and followed him up. October 2007 I take my time getting home, skirting along the boardwalk, watching as the moon appears in a hazy mist above the bluffs. I'm not sure that I'm ready to go home, but I also know that I don't want to be out here staring at the ocean and thinking about Sam anymore. I've been thinking about nothing but his disappearance for the last five years, and sometimes I wonder if it's time to let it go. Yesterday was my birthday, and I couldn't be less interested. Things like that, all the little things that make a life normal, had disappeared a long time ago. There's really nothing I can do. There never has been. For the first couple of weeks, I actually thought I could find him. I kept asking questions, kept racking my brain for anything helpful, and I kept trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together hoping that something would come to me. Nothing ever did. So I got a job remodeling part of a dorm. Then I started my own business. I've scraped, painted, and redecked one out of the four businesses on Amherst Street. I've delivered pizza in the off-season, and more recently, I started a podcast. I'll admit that even the podcast has ulterior motives. I guess I've just always thought that Somehow I would be able to bring him back.
Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>